Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian, from the sidelines of the South by Southwest Conference and Festival in Austin, Texas. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell since 1935. Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. We took the show on the road for South by that started as a music arts and film festival that has become a leading gathering of innovative defense technology companies, the venture capital community that funds them and the government leaders who do the buying. State, federal and local investment have made Austin a leading technology hub that's also a key government uh, center. That includes Army Futures Command Headquarters, a branch of the Defense Innovation Unit, AFWorks, and other leading DOD technology uh, and broader industry accelerators. Later in the program, we talk to a man at the very center of this vibrant defense and technology ecosystem that is Austin. But first, joining us is my good friend Byron Callen of the independent Washington research firm Capital Alpha Partners for his take. Uh, on the Biden administration's $842 billion defense budget request. Uh, That is formal as of today, including some of the details and a look at the week ahead. Byron, always a pleasure having you on the program. Thanks so much for joining us. Great as always, Fago, and greetings from rainy New York. Indeed, and I I hate to say it, but uh, greetings from sunny uh, Austin, Texas, uh, as uh, obviously uh, snow and weather are up in the Northeast that are uh, escaping us down here. Before we get started, our program today is brought to you by HII. HII is a trusted defense and technology partner and the largest aggregator of U.S. Department of Defense cyber data. HII, delivering hard stuff done right. Byron, uh, welcome back. We uh, uh, just heard from Deputy Defense Secretary Dr. Kath Hicks, uh, as well as uh, the Vice Chairman and the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, Admiral uh, Grady. Uh, Give us your uh, take on what your uh, top takeaways are of this budget. $842 billion, a little bit smaller than most people had expected. um, And you haven't had a chance to comb through the budget books uh, as well as listen, obviously, to the presentation and do your own gathering. What are what are the most important takeaways from your perspective on this budget? Sure, and, and just to be clear, Vago, at the time we're doing this broadcast, there the the detailed budget justification books aren't out. As a matter of fact, on the Comptroller's website, I think the briefing slides are circulating, but I haven't seen any of the the details, particularly on the out year plan. So, what I've really been working off of is a document that was posted, or actually just some Excel worksheets that were posted on the OMB website uh, for the entire federal budget, including DOD. Those were posted last Thursday. But I think, you know, top line takeaways, and and um, the, the Deputy Secretary of Defense talked about this this morning, you know, she characterized this budget as a procurement budget. Um, and clearly, you know, DOD is, is picking up the pace on a whole range of weapons, missiles, uh, strike systems, uh, more F-15EXs. Um, you know, th- those are a couple of things that jump off the, some of the headlines. But, you know, to really say that it's a, a procurement budget, you know, one of the things I look at is just the ratio of procurement spending to RDT and spending. And I don't think that's really changed a lot, um, at least over the the next couple of years. I suppose, you know, this is the beginning of the, you know, kind of what are people going to pick at? Um, I do think it was interesting that that, um, Secretary Hicks said that, you know, we're we're kind of maxing out some of the production uh, capacity of domestic industry um, to meet these higher rates. So that is another point of contention, I think, is going to be picked out a little bit. But 
Well, let me stop there. Well, uh, you know, I mean, she did note uh, that this was a procurement uh, heavy uh, budget, uh, but also a large um, you know, some of this stuff we saw sewing, uh, saw coming in, in terms of, for example, F-15 EX. Uh, you and I both were at the Aerospace Warfare Symposium uh, early last week where um, Andrew Hunter, for example, unveiled the, the tanker, uh, the new tanker strategy. And Secretary Kendall, uh, the Air Force Secretary, did discuss, for example, all the newer modified starts, right? I mean, 20 new starts and... Right. Um, and uh, a whole bunch of major modifications on programs. And we heard from Dr. Hicks that it's important to get uh, the funding part of it straight. You've also seen, though, a very large bulge in uh, classified spending. Walk us through some of the interesting pockets of this uh, budget, right? Because there is an agreement that this isn't enough and the administration should have done more. And if you talk to anybody in DOD, they expected more money. It's just that the last second they had to adjust downward and a lot of stuff got kicked out of there, uh, for, for example, that, that would have been priorities other, otherwise, the alternate engine uh, being one of those, uh, those uh, programs. Kind of walk us through sort of where you saw interesting uh, changes in the budget from what you could see. Well, yeah, I mean, and this was just racking and stacking the OMB data on budget authority. Um, you know, true to their word, they're, they're, if you look at last year's plan and compared it to this year's plan, now, last year's plan, the data went to FY27 in the DOD green book, so we don't have FY28 numbers. But, you know, the DOD really did significantly increase the weapons accounts kind of for all three services. Um, the platform accounts were a little more varied. Uh, you know, I think Army Aviation or Army Aircraft was was pretty flat, maybe even down a tad compared to last year's plan, but, you know, the the future long-range assault aircraft will feather in probably in FY28 and beyond, so that, that ought to see some growth. Um, the, the platform programs, you know, I suppose naval ship construction was up. That's going to be a little bit of the devil in the details. I think there are only two DDG-51s, not three that Congress had funded in the FY23 budget, you know, so Will they come back with that? Um, but yeah, I, and, and you know, I did this analysis and just found that if you add all these kind of weapons, and I'm talking about strike weapons, missiles, ammunition accounts, they go from about 10% or 11% of the FY23 budget to close to 19% in, in uh, 2028. So Clearly, uh, some growth, you know, clearly DOD is replenishing some of the magazines. But as I said, I think if you, <clears throat> you're kind of at capacity from a domestic standpoint, that's going to raise some questions about, you know, what if there is a conflict, you know, what, what, what were our, where will our allies turn to if they want more munitions? And um, so th these are kind of, I think, a lot of the little analytical fine points that we'll have to play through in the coming days. I mean, obviously, the gap in amphibious ship production is something that's proven to be controversial. Um, obviously, Lockheed Martin, uh, you and I were both there and managed to talk to them. We're not particularly happy about the new tanker strategy. Um, there, were, there were some from Boeing who weren't particularly happy because they thought that once KC-46 gets rolling, KC-46 becomes the baseline airplane, right? I mean, so depending on how you look at it, there's a lot to like here or a lot not, not to like. What do you think Congress likes? What do you think Congress changes? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I suppose that's really in the hands of the lobbyists, right? Um, and, you know, jobs in particular, in particular districts. But um, I, I think, look, you know, the way Secretary Kendall talked about the tanker 
fleet. Uh, you know, I, you can look at a map. I mean, how many 3,000 meter runways are there in the Pacific? Um, how how survivable is a commercial airliner based platform against long range air to air, even surface air weapons? So, you know, I wrote about this last night. I hear the mantra all the time from industry that they want a stable, predictable outlook. And you know, the world is not predictable and stable. And as threats change, so are these defense needs going to change? Sure, people are going to argue. Well, you know, the bird in hand, or the, or the literally the the at least the KC forty six. But if that aircraft <clears throat> can't perform in in a stressed uh, conflict environment in Indo Pacific, um, you're you're only just putting a capacity and frankly people's lives at risk. Um, you better you better start thinking through the alternatives and and how you could more effectively and more survivably deliver uh, that capacity in, in the 2020s and beyond. Um, we were at South by Southwest, a whole bunch of innovative companies here uh, trying to figure out how to do big things uh, quickly. A lot of scaling panels, for example, with a lot of thoughtful people uh, on how you can get a good idea and then be able to, to, to really sort of grow it. Uh, in the end, we also heard from Dr. Hicks and the administration has been telegraphing that there is going to be industrial investment. You know, there was talk about microchips. Obviously, the CHIPS Act is one of the largest we've passed. We passed the major infrastructure measure uh, as well. Um, one of the ways to build up industrial capacity is to buy weapons, but there has been a little bit of trepidation uh, among those in the department who make very, uh, you know, uh, very thoughtfully the case, hey, we shouldn't be buying sort of 1990s stingers in a new iteration anymore than we should be buying a 1990s weapon like Javelin, even if it's been updated. Let's look at what are the new kind of capabilities we have to field. What, you know, how much was there sufficient amount of investment and creative thinking that you've been able to see in this budget about how the DOD goes about supporting the making of mousetraps in a more maybe distributed fashion, right? You and I have talked about how World War II was done. We went with steam engines uh, in our uh, transport ships because actually steam engines had a larger margin of manufacturing error. And so a triple expansion engine was a better option, for example, than a diesel engine, even though the diesel engine would have been a more intuitive sort of uh, uh, pick. Yeah, on that, and, that, right? and that's... Bago, that's what I don't know yet. I mean, I, I think the real question is going to be, you know, it's the new start line items. Um, and I would agree, you know, how many people go out and say, I want to buy, you know, it might be slightly improved, but but the same general model of the car that, that I bought uh, in the 1980s. Um, you know, there's a lot of new things out there. And it, it is kind of intriguing that, Hey, why not have a, a new full and open competition um, for a javelin replacement or a stinger replacement, and, and see what industry can come up with? And I, that that would, I think, challenge everybody. And, and in particular, <clears throat> see if you can get it done in a year or two, not not in a you know three or four year time frame. Um, I I think you know the the collaborative combat aircraft program is going to be interesting as a lane. Uh, you know, when you start talking about a thousand of anything, that lane is large enough that you could create uh, a, a winner out of one of the new start, you know, tech entrants. Um, I know I haven't read the full report card today, but the Reagan Institute <clears throat> released their uh, kind of report card in defense innovation. And, you know, I, I think they said, look, it's an innovative country. 
Um, the capital seems to be there, but you know, where are the, where are the, where are the growth opportunities? How do you really <clears throat> allow um, these all companies, not just the defense startups, but where are you giving them entry points that they can scale? And uh, I, you know, that may be in some of the briefings uh, DOD is going to hold, uh, may come up in some of the follow-up conversations, and obviously, you know, we'll kind of pour through some of the, the line items uh, in the budget to see where they're, they're, if there are those lanes. Uh, very quickly, um, you know, a number of folks have said that this budget is absolutely critical. It has to show speed. It has to move the needle in a meaningful way if we're going to keep uh, deterring uh, China. Do you think that there is enough in this budget that puts the United States on a better vector in order to be able to do that? And let's really quick uh, take a look at uh, what you've got uh, on uh, well, that the audience should be paying attention to in the week ahead. This question about time, right? Uh, is is going to be pretty critical. If it's taking 30 months from the time a contract is signed to, the, to getting something delivered, you know, I, I would have loved to have seen a couple of, of programs or initiatives to, hey, why don't we challenge industry and challenge the department to to cut those by a third or two thirds? Um, I I do think, you know talking about things that get delivered in the late 2020s and into the 2030s. Yeah, but you've got adversaries who are moving at faster cycles and, you know, you're, you're trying to put a puck um, in some place that people may have already skated past to use that analogy. So um, I, I get it, you know, that, yeah, this is a good start, but uh personal view, you know, more probably needs to be done. And the faster agility part is uh, is really going to be critical to this. And uh, a quick uh, survey of what it is that folks should be paying attention to as we record this, the Reagan Institute uh, is having a great uh, all-day event, so I commend people to check that out uh, on industrial base. But take it away, Byron. What is it folks should be paying attention to? You know, we're back to a couple of hearings. I, th I think it's going to be useful to listen to uh, the House is on recess this week, but the Senate is having a couple of broad budget oversight hearings. Um, you know, what's kind of the tone and tenor? Where are we? I know, you know, you continue to talk with Michael and, and the rest of the crew on Friday about the debt ceiling, but, you know, <clears throat> what is the state of play and, and what's the broader reaction to the budget, not just the, the, the federal budget? Um, there are a couple of, uh, there are always a, a smattering of think tank events. Uh, on Ukraine and um, and AUKUS, which is going to be interesting because the president's going to un unroll that out uh, on Monday with the prime ministers of the UK and Australia. But I think there are all sorts of questions about, you know, can you change ITAR, ITAR <clears throat> to allow this transfer of technology to Australia? And it may raise some questions about, Hey, you know, are there other countries? Are there other countries that we ought to be thinking about the same, same sort of process? Uh, Byron, uh, absolutely, and that's why I commend the audience to check out our conversation uh, with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alex Stoike Goldberg, uh, who is uh, the DIU, the Defense Innovation Unit Director here uh, in Austin. Uh, a real innovative, creative mind, and somebody who has 
tremendous amounts of operational experience as a fighter pilot, as well as an MQ-1 and MQ-9 operator. Um, and, uh, you know, a guy who was innovative, U.S. Air Force Innovator of the Year, who's trying to move that ball forward, whether it's to uh, address operational needs in a pressing manner in Ukraine and elsewhere, but also then build up the capability uh, for uh, the future. One, one other thing I think is going to be important to watch, Vago, is any of the fallout from the failure of uh, the Silicon Valley Bank and really how that might ripple through the whole defense innovation community. Um, it, it's a to-be-determined issue, but, uh, you know, if you see a lot of these smaller companies kind of asphyxiated for capital, um, it, it raises a question about, you know, what more might be done to keep those companies in the game. Uh, indeed. I mean, that's one of the things that we discussed, uh, started our conversation with Stoike with. Uh, and I would also point out the sheer number of companies here who were scrambling to make payroll. So, I mean, in between all of the meetings and presentations and things they were doing, there were companies who never had, you know, never borrowed a, a dollar, were signing loans to be able to make payroll. Uh, and so all yep. of them are, you know, obviously a lot of focus. Uh, and, um, you know, on the other hand, you know, you can see this from the standpoint of the government, right, that the bank did not yep. you know, b behave the way a major financial institution should. And now everybody is, is dealing with uh, ramifications. Yeah, Certainly going to be know. very well, interesting. Byron, thanks very much. It's a pleasure. Looking forward uh, to having you on again next week. In the meantime, have a great week. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Vago. Cheers. And a word from our sponsors, Leonardo DRS and HII sponsor our global coverage. Fortress Information Security sponsors our weekly cyber report. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage. Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage. And GE Aerospace sponsors our air and naval warfare coverage. And I should note GE Aerospace, Leonardo DRS, and Helicon Chemical sponsored our coverage of the Aerospace Forces Association's annual aerospace warfare symposium. And our coverage here at South by Southwest was sponsored by Bell and Leonardo DRS. And joining me now is uh, United States Air Force, or I should say Texas Air National Guard Lieutenant Colonel Alex Stoike Goldberg, uh, who is the director of the Defense Innovation Unit's uh, operations here in sunny Austin, Texas, and somebody uh, who is a uh, F-16 pilot, pioneering MQ-1, MQ-9 uh, operator, uh, as well as somebody who has a long reputation as being an Air Force innovator, including winning the Air Force Innovator of the Year competition, and somebody who can rock a velour blazer unlike anybody else I know. Stoiky, welcome to the program. It's absolute uh, pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Um, so let me start off with uh, a very briefly, because obviously the Silicon Valley Bank um, drama is unfolding. Um, over the last 48 or 50 hours that I've been here, a lot of discussions and companies are worrying about how to make payroll. I know that you guys are assessing this, and this isn't necessarily your department, but you interface with all these companies that are being affected. How are you guys assessing damage? You know, what's what's going to be the impact? Obviously, because we've heard from Janet Yellen, there's no bank rescue, but the FDIC uh, is trying to make people whole. Yeah, it's unfortunate what is happening. But at the end of the day, there are VC firms that are successful, VC firms that, that are not, right? Funds are successful and funds that are not. Same thing in private equity and, and in the banks. This is not new, right? But it is unfortunate when these things do happen. At the end of the day, right, from DIU and, and the rest of the defense ecosystem, the private equity, the venture capital world is extremely important to us. As we know, in order to be able to modernize fast enough to to meet the needs of, of where we're going to be in the future, we need their help. 
And so obviously we're making an assessment of, of the implications and the ramifications to the companies in our portfolio and across the DOD. Um, but to speak to the larger, broader banking community, private equity, venture capital, we need them. There is a huge demand and now more than ever, uh, we're going to need their help. Uh, and it's interesting to me how companies are actually working to help each other, including VC guys who are helping each other who ordinarily wouldn't in order to preserve uh, these capabilities. Are you afraid that any of these these companies would be badly damaged in this, or do you think that ultimately everybody will pull together in a way? Because, right, this stuff is important for DOD, it's important for the state of Texas and the Austin economy, among other things. Uh, unfortunately, it's too early to assess, but I would say just like in anything, right, this requires a whole of community, a whole of nation, a whole of world approach. Many of these companies that we're investing in are game changing. They're critical to our national security. Many of the organizations that we have recently stood up from the Office of Strategic Capital to other programs across the DOD innovation ecosystem to make it easier to work with the DOD, that many of these companies we will introduce to other VCs and other private equity and other entities that even you know, going through this challenging time with the Silicon Valley Bank, that there are others that will pick up many of these very promising companies because there is a demand signal. There is a market that is there, and we'll do everything in our power to help these companies uh, succeed for our national security. Um, I want to ask you an innovation uh, chicken and egg argument, right? On the one hand, the more you talk about innovation, and we heard this from General C.Q. Brown, Chief of Staff of the Air Force, uh, who made the case, look, I mean, the more you talk about it, the more top cover you give, the more you're encouraging the system uh, to change. On the other hand, there are those who roll their eyes and they say, oh, look, I mean, most of this is innovation uh, theater. From, from your standpoint, who's living it on a, on a daily basis, w walk us through how and why all of this is actually working. And it's vitally important, even if it appears to be chaotic and sometimes, you know, theatrical maybe in its nature. You know, people think that this is about technology first and foremost. More than anything, this is about a cultural change. This is about people getting away from this notion and this mindset of um, no because. No because we've just never done it that way before. No because the regulation says we can't do it. To be more of a mindset, a problem-solving mindset of never resting on our laurels, how do we get to yes? How do we persevere, overcome, and win nonetheless when we have these challenges? And so all, there is a lot of innovation theater where you're generating buzz and generating excitement. But, you know, many people say, you know, hey, I just want innovation as if I'm going to HEB and grabbing some milk, some bread, and I'll pick up some innovation on the, on the way to work. But at the end of the day, our nation is, is prolific in problem solving to challenge the status quo. And so all of this that, that you see is generating a lot of buzz and a lot of excitement. It's about inspiring and engaging and supporting those that have these great ideas. And we need their help to bring them to fruition. You know, so many times, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the innovation theater where, there, where there's a lot of talk, but there really is no action. We tell companies to um, build said capability and here are the goalposts. And even when they get there beyond our wildest expectations because of the POM process, our funding, the way in which our bureaucratic processes work, maybe there's not a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and we actually don't buy their product. More than anything, as a DOD entity, we need to be buying the things that we are investing in at the end of the day, especially when they actually are successful. So yes, it is important to get the message of what is happening larger in the world, that at the end of the day, we need to modernize to meet 
the pacing threat. We all know that, that China has increased their defense budget over the last 10 years by 10x, that by the end of this decade, their GDP will be larger than ours. Their R&D budget will be larger than ours. Their military budget will be larger than ours. 40% of all STEM graduates will come from China and only 3.6% from the United States. We see what is happening currently in the European theater. Against these near-peer threats, to be able to, to get to that, um, to meet those challenges, this is a whole of community, a whole of nation, and a whole of world approach with all our allies and partners. We need to find everything in the cupboard in all of our research and engineering. Leverage everything that is happening in the venture capital and private equity world. Leverage the startup engine that we have, and not just the defense industrial base, but the non-traditional commercial industrial base. That's why we exist at DIU. This is why the DODX community exists. Part of it is the messaging of why this is so important. Part of it is hearing how can we lower the barriers to entry to make it easier to work with us so that it, it is not as taxing uh, as it once was. Look, climbing the bureaucracy of the DOD, the Department of Defense, is, is non-trivial. But we have a bunch of Sherpas that are trying to help. But fundamentally, this is about problem solving and getting outside the echo chamber of just the DOD and getting into academia and in our labs and, and around the country to the startup engine that we have in entrepreneurs to help us solve some of these really challenging problems. Um, I, I can say uh, that uh, the progress is, is really palpable. Sort of the more you do it, uh, the more people are questioning, right? Um, you and I have talked about this before, right? We do what we do because we do it. It's not because it makes any sense until you start looking at it in the cold light of day and reconsidering it. And in the last year, I mean, I have to say that, in, again, I mean, since I've been here, talking to companies that are doing, you know, a new approach to munitions where it's a fraction the cost. Uh, folks are doing unmanned stuff that no, uh, nobody else is, is doing, connectivity stuff, command and control stuff, data display stuff, OSINT, uh, open source intelligence. Uh, and you mentioned HEB. Uh, for, for people who don't realize that, that's the Texas version of Walmart. Uh, so that a lot of people are like, you know, a couple of people have told me like, oh, go to the HEB, and I have no idea what they were talking about. Um, getting to, you know, you, you mentioned uh, China and obviously uh, the war. The Russia's war on Ukraine has driven a lot of interest, and some of these innovative companies are now supplying forward to our allies and, and, and partners, and, and even uh, to the Ukrainians. At the same time, we're looking at building up capabilities to, conf uh, to better deter China and, God forbid, if necessary, uh, fight and prevail in, in that kind of war. Is the community, Stoiki, being leveraged to the degree is necessary, and does it actually hold the keys to success in conflicts where volume is going to matter, right, innovation is going to matter, and speed is going to matter? So first and foremost, a lot of the DODX community we're all startups. Even DIU, the Defense Innovation Unit, under the Office of Secretary of Defense, where we started from Secretary Carter, is only seven years old. We're still trying to figure it out. When working with venture capital and private equity, we're still trying to lower the barrier century and we're trying to make it easier to work with. As Army Futures Command and AFWorks and Naval Lex and many of these innovation organizations are all standing up, there is a larger reason why. And let me just talk about that briefly. General Hyden, back in 2018, he was at AFA, uh, the Air Force Association Conference. And he told us that the thing that keeps him up at night, and this is when he was the 
Stratcom commander. He owns all the nuclear missiles for, you know, and, and submarines, everything, the nuclear triad for the entire country. He said the thing that keeps him up at night was not necessarily Russia or China or any one particular threat nation. The thing that kept him up at night was that he feared as a nation, we lost the ability to go fast. The reason why DIU exists and the Secretary of Defense stood us up was to go faster. Just like CQ Brown, the Chief of Staff of the Air Force, motto is accelerate, change, or lose, we all know we need to go faster. The question is, how? The thesis behind the DODX community is that in order to go faster, we're going to leverage the venture capital startup community engine that we have, the non-traditional, the asymmetric capability, new problem solvers and new technology that are beyond just the prolific weapon systems that are exquisite, they're monolithic, they're very costly, um, and they're very vulnerable in this next era of uh, national security challenges. And so given that context, we are all still learning from each other. As many of these organizations are creating new programs, learning from the community, learning from industry, what is working, what is not, and how we can better work together, now let's fast forward to where we are today. So you have a, a conflict now in Russia where we are, and many of um, our allies and partners, are supplying capability for Ukraine so that they can survive as a nation and they can protect themselves vital interest to our nation and, and to our European allies. The challenge is that we only have so much capability in our stockpile, so many of existing programs of record. And the thesis and why DIU exists is we know that our industrial base is vulnerable, our defense industrial base is vulnerable. If we get into a high-end fight that requires a large amount of munitions, it is not like World War II. We do not have the standing manufacturing capacity to compete at that level. So what else can we do? Why not leverage a lot of the game-changing technologies where every day I meet companies where I go, I didn't know that was a thing. Our generals didn't know that was a thing. Our nation didn't know that was a thing. We ask many times for a faster horse, knowing that the problem that we're trying to solve is how do we get from point A to point B? And sometimes we see a tank or a plane or a hypersonic vehicle that we didn't even know existed that can be faster, cheaper, and better to accomplish the mission. And I think part one now, more than any time in previous history, is now to activate that DODX community. The reason why we exist, the time is now to prove this thesis that we can move faster, and not just using the defense industrial base, but the commercial industrial base. And many of the companies that you talked about, munitions at fractions of the price, disrupting the whole munitions game. Or in DIU, we're, we're generating capabilities, working with a company like Air Company that is working on synthetic fuels, taking air, water, and electricity, and making jet fuel. And how is that going to change warfare? We have a project called Pan a Project Panacea, where we are working on a panchromatic therapeutic cure. Translation terms, this is a universal cure for all airborne disease for mankind. COVID, SARS, bird flu, and also broad efficacy around bacteria. So, why am I sick? Strep throat or bronchitis or any one of these other things. Imagine a world where China take after the largest challenges to move human, you know, uh, humanity forward. The biggest health challenges, energy challenges. These are the things that the DODX community is tackling. And more than ever, we're able to be able to be called to the front lines right now to be able to support our nation and our national security 
and get prepared for every other challenge that we may face, whether it be in the Pacific theater or other challenges that we may face in the world. And, and you're talking about it, right? Instead of being one big monolithic company producing this stuff, you're looking at a distributed production model, right? Where many more hands are building those things in order to be able to build them faster. Absolutely. When you look at things like small drones, like this is the largest drone warfare in human history. And they are taking commercial off-the-shelf capability and providing additional capability, whether it be weaponizing or for sensing or decoys or a number of other elements that very cheaply compared to very exquisite systems are able to get onto the field. And duct tape and glue is wildly successful and just as good as many of the other programs of record that we already have existing. So yeah, this is about ingenuity. There's nothing like combat to be able to bring out the ingenuity of a nation and of a people. And in this way, you know, in this crisis, there is a silver lining to be able to move us further and faster as a nation, as national security, with our NATO partners. So yeah, I mean, th this is a, like we've talked about, this is a whole of world approach to be able to move us faster. And, and many of our organizations and our capabilities and our funding, this thesis gets to be proved out right now. Um, so one is, uh, the one uh, question is how you connect this innovation community with the broader acquisition and delivery system, right? I mean, at the end of the day, what you can do is to find, to highlight, uh, to evangelize, but ultimately, right, somebody's going to seize on it. Obviously, that's why AFWorks exists and NavalX. Talk to us a little bit about how the ecosystem can work in a, in a better virtuous cycle to get this idea that you and the team have identified somehow or somebody has come out of the woodwork with, hey, I've got a better mousetrap, and get it to the point where you're at scale, you're getting funded, and you're delivering, because we don't have as many examples of that yet as, as we need. Yeah, the... The crux of the challenge is, even if we buy capability now as a prototype in a very small, low-rate production, how do we get all the way to a program of record and actually really scale? The money to really scale comes from the POM process, the budgeting process that we have, and it's usually about a three-year process. So even if I want to buy in mass scale now, the money won't show up for three years. Many of the programs from the Office of Strategic Capital to things that AFWorks is doing with their Stratfi program, their strategic phase twos with their small business innovation research grants, to what the Office of uh, Strategic Capital is doing, which is actually expanding that Stratfi program to the rest of the DOD and government. The whole goal is how do we take strategic bets with some of our R&D dollars, pool them together. And yes, we make a lot of awards and we take a lot of bets and there's a lot of failure but we actually do get a lot of really great gems that are so much cheaper, magnitude or disruptive in, in how much cheaper, faster, and better they are. And those programs, those leveraging programs, are gonna help us get from where we are now all the way to the future. That's where Raider comes in. That's where AppFit program comes in. These are all you know, 100 million or billion dollar pots of money to be able to bridge that gap. It's very aware. That's why these programs have been starting setting up. That's why the Office of Strategic Capital is actually expanding that even further. Transition and scale in the government is non-trivial. It is extremely difficult. Even if I have a teleportation device, it's not in the budget, right? So, so however capable it is and how game-changing it is, we are trying to leverage funding for R&D and pool it together to be able to prove this out. And right now in this theater provides an opportunity to really help the Ukrainians, but also increase our readiness too by activating the non-traditional, the commercial industrial base, 
these capabilities that you saw here in South by. The, the companies that we see all across the country in our centers of gravity. That's why DIU is in Silicon Valley, our headquarters in Mountain View, and Austin, and Boston, and Chicago, and, you know, in the, the Northeast region in the Pentagon, is to take advantage, right, of all these startups. And yes, these are many programs that we're trying to do to help bridge that gap. Those are just a couple of examples, but we're continually working on how to do that better. Um, let me ask you one last uh, question. Obviously, Austin is uh, unique, uh, and Austin sees itself as unique, so that works out well. Uh, and the South by Southwest Conference, right, I mean, it's a music and a film festival, and a couple of interesting government guys came here and spoke, and then uh, that attracted, you know, innovators and capital, and now defense, uh, senior defense folks are coming out here, right? What makes Austin special, and what, what, what makes South by Southwest kind of special? in all of the elements it brings together, because it's interesting. I mean, there are camera people who are working stuff in Hollywood that are now putting it to defense applications, which I think is fascinating. I think more than anything in Texas and specifically in Austin, there is a culture and a community of partnership. It's what helped Silicon Valley become Silicon Valley. There was a lot of nonprofit organizations, a lot of government funding, a lot of government FFRDC labs, the Stanford Research Institute, that really help spur that on. Here, it's the tide will rise all boats, from academia to the FFRDCs to the, to the startup community and in government here in the military, we're actually all really working well together. There is this palatable desire and, and we can feel the impact of what and the challenges that are happening in the world. And here it is a just very friendly and there's just a hunger to want to work with each other. This isn't the Silicon Valley, the venture capital you know, in Silicon Valley still is king within the nation, but it is continually growing. The business climate is extremely friendly for, be able, for companies to be able to come here and be able to expand operations. And the fact that it is unique in that in one building, we have the Office of Secretary of Defense, and we have the Air Force Innovation Unit, AFWorks, and the Navy's Naval X, and we have the Army's, you know, Army Futures Command, Army Applications Lab, and a number of other three-letter agencies, a number of other innovation organizations, all in one roof not spread throughout the city like it is in D.C. Or, or, in, or in Silicon Valley. We're all located together, and we work very quickly together, and we work very closely together. So I think it's more than anything it is about the, the, uh, the collaborative environment um, that creates the serendipity, where we interact with each other and, and we want to help each other out. I think more than anything, I think that, that is the secret sauce. And South By, because of all the technological aspects that it brings and the excitement, brings all of these very novel uh, and intelligent ideas that we've never thought about. And, and from hearing from these thought leaders, seeing these great technologies, they may not have thought that there was a defense application. And from our lens, we can see that they could have a tremendous impact on our national security. And our job is to really inspire, engage them, and support them to want to work with us when, when you know, uh, they don't know where even to begin. And I think that's what's the, the secret sauce. And, you know, educating, inspiring, engaging, and supporting South By provides a great venue to be able to do that to, to help our broader national security. Stoichi, uh, we know how busy uh, you are. This, you're one of the bells of this uh, ball. Thanks so very much for spending so much time with us. Really appreciate it. And look forward to having you back on the program again soon. Thank you. No, grateful for the opportunity. I'm glad to be here. Appreciate it.